This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of Body to Burial. I'm Mariah. And I'm Nikki. We're just two regular true crime junkies who decided it was time to see crime from a new perspective. This is Body to Burial. We are about to talk with... You ready? I'm ready. Who, who, who do you have? We have the Death Wives Collective is what they're called. And that's their company. Death Wives Collective. Okay. And they are a death doula. What? Ah. Lauren is a holistics funeral director, educator, and a co-founder of Death Wives. And Aaron is a death doula, educator, and also a co-founder of Death Wives. Well, they have a Instagram too. Is the handle the thing on the top? Yep. My God, you just dated yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know these words. Handle. Oh, God. (laughs) It's just the thing at the top. And then the handle is? Oh, I hate that word. All right. Um, right. death, (laughs) Death wives. Death wives. Okay, cool. Okay, I'm stoked about this. And for the record, for those who don't know what we're referring to, we spoke with Julie McFadden, who was a hospice nurse. Um, and had briefly mentioned um, kind of death doulas. If you haven't listened to that episode, go check that out. It's Julie McFadden, hospice nurse. But I am very interested to understand the difference between a hospice nurse and a death doula. Like, what is the defining line? Yeah, we're all fairly familiar with doulas in like the common sense. Well, I'm just going to give you a heads up. I don't know what a doula is. You don't know what a doula is. Okay. Not really. I mean, I kind of have a general idea of like when you're having a baby and they come to your like hospital room and you like bounce on a ball and then they like rub your back. Yeah. Like that? Yeah. I mean, I guess the capacity in which you use your doula is probably different every time. Um, But they assist like kind of from the beginning, they help you come up with like your birthing plan. They kind of help uh, prepare you for like um, what you're going through with your body. They check in with you kind of, it's just kind of like an external support system, I guess is the best way to put it. They just messaged me that they're ready to go. All right, let's bring them on. Hello. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Okay. I'm going to merge you in with Mariah and Lauren. Okay. Mariah? Yep. Lauren? Yep. Aaron? I'm here. Oh, I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So just kick us off, I guess. I would just say, could you explain what a death doula is? Absolutely. The easiest way to liken it to begin with is kind of to the work of a birth doula, just as a birth doula is going to support a mother through pregnancy and then through birth. A death doula is going to support someone who is dying um, through the weeks or months, if they're fortunate, before their death up until the actual death. Um, And then sometimes after the death as well in the capacity of helping create funeral services or facilitating a viewing if the family wants to see their loved one after they've died. Um, 
um, and things like that. So the range of work is, is really quite large. You know, it's everything from doing legacy projects with people before they've died, helping them see the impact um, of their life and the impact that their life has had. Um, it's also fundamentally helping people face their fears around death. Like, are they afraid of it physically, of the pain involved? Are they afraid of it emotionally or spiritually? You know, that's a big juicy one. Do they have relationship issues that they need to kind of mend and heal so that they can be at peace and feel resolved before they die? So a lot of contemplation and kind of like what gets in the way of us in a peaceful death. And then during the more active parts of it, when death is happening, you know, really the death doula is is there just to hold space and, and less is more to be an advocate for this person and to employ as many of the things that they had talked about ahead of time for this person to um, create a more comfortable environment for them to die in. How would you say that a death doula differs from like a hospice care? They are similar. I mean, a hospice volunteer is probably the closest role to a death doula um, before death doula kind of became a word. You know, I think it's really only been a word for eight to 10 years, maybe. But a hospice volunteer, there's a lot of things that they can't go into. You know, there are a lot of rules within the hospice and a lot of limitations. And it's, it depending what those rules and those those things are depends greatly on who owns the hospice. Like, is it a faith-based, you know, is it a Catholic hospice, for example? And so a death doula certainly can work within that capacity. But if you're not affiliated with a hospice, you can go a lot farther. A hospice volunteer isn't going to probably, like, get out all of the photos in a home and help create memory books or slideshows or legacy projects. They, they, you know, there's, there's gaps in the care um, of what they can provide. And then we also often will go on to do the funeral services too. So one of the really beautiful, you know, aspects of the job is getting to know somebody. I say that we fall in love with people who are dying, you know, falling in love with people at the end of their life, um, keeping all of their stories, writing them down. People tend to tell a lot of stories as they're approaching death if they're still cognitive. Of course, there's, a, you know, a, a huge range of variability in illness and and how someone dies but often if they are able they become reflective and and chatty and so a doula can collect all of those stories either with a recorder or just handwriting them in a spiral notebook or whatever and then um and then use those to write the eulogy with and use those for the funeral services and kind of create this environment where they were like well I actually do know what your loved one thought about death and dying and you know here's what they thought and here's what they believed and it's like bringing them back for an hour the death doula goes in with the like the fundamental belief that death is a natural part of life and that it is supposed to happen and that it happens to every one of us. And so our role is never to stop it from happening, but to, to facilitate it happening in, you know, the most, I would say the most gentle way possible, but, but really more than that, it is figuring out the best way for this family specifically and for this person specifically. And and you're right, you know, it's really hard sometimes to ask a family to hold space for that, to ask a, whole, a family to, to hold space for the concept that like, I am going to die, so let's just get over that part real quick so we can talk about the execution of it. It's hard, that's hard to do with your children and with people who love you. And so that is a really good role that a death doula can hold. You know, it's like saying, okay, we know what the end is. Let's talk about how we're going to get there. That actually is really neat for the families because recently my mom passed and then my father-in-law passed and like now it's been a year for both and I look back and I think you know I wanted to do all those things and ask them questions but then at the time it's so hard I would assume my mom wouldn't want to talk to me about things or Jim because I was in pain and they didn't want to see me sad and it would probably be easier to talk to you guys they could be more open because you don't have a like a not a connection, but you know what I mean? Like an attachment. There you go. 
It's almost like your own your own therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds weird that I've always been fascinated. Like that sounds weird when you say it like that. But like what happens when you die and the whole thing. You're our people. <laughs> we don't think you're weird at all. Yeah. <laughs> What's actually weird is that most people don't talk about it because we're all guaranteed to experience it, you know, and. And when we don't know very much about something, it's usually a lot more scary than when we get up close to it and we do know more about it, right? And so it's, it's. Yeah. I think it's the opposite of weird. I think it's human nature to be curious about it and to be compelled to understand it. Um, and since our culture, at least in America, doesn't have like a lot of you know rites of passage and traditions and ways to do that, people equate it with like scary movies and Halloween, which don't get me wrong, I love. Death is spooky. Mm-hmm. Instead of. That's like it. Imagine if you thought having babies was like so terrifying. I mean, I know that we do from certain films, but it's never seen as something awful where death is seen as the absolute worst thing, even though it's the exact same thing. One's a beginning and one's an ending. And Aaron and I, I mean, the whole reason we do the education part is because we want to normalize it enough and have people have these conversations enough that when they are in the situations where the doctors are saying, there's only a few months and instead of that urge to fight to keep living you give in gracefully knowing that this is just another transition another passage in our life and therefore those conversations can become more fluid you can create the kind of death that you would like and healing can take place within families yeah that makes sense because i'm like you know, because when my mom finally gave not gave up you know she had accepted it and made peace with it but I didn't and my brothers didn't. And you know what I mean? Like, so like after your loved one has passed, that it's hard to realize that they are gone because you're still in that mindset of they're going to get better and it's going to be better. And you didn't accept it. I mean, that would have been nice to have what you guys do beforehand. So then the family is being prepared as well as the person. How do you help the family members essentially accept what is happening and what's going to happen? One of the things that you can do is a lot of people haven't been with death. They haven't been with dying before because, like Aaron said, it's been taken out of the home. So not only is our our death care taken out of the home, but the actual dying process is typically done in a hospital. It's become extremely medical, which we know is not true. The body, no matter what, knows how to die, um, and it's going to do it. You can't stop it. You cannot stop death no matter what. So really educating the family of what dying looks like can help alleviate the pain and the the worry and the fear um, and give them more space to be present with the person as they're dying. And it's the same thing after death, to be present in the space with them after their body has gone through so much for so long, if they've had a chronic illness, or even if it was an accident, uh, there's a peace that takes place and... A lot of people miss out on that. And so there's that closure, that period to their life that's not quite there because we're afraid, because we're afraid to be present with the body. And in all my years of being a funeral director and home funeral guide, I've never had a family regret seeing their loved one, but I have had numerous ones regret not being present with their body. Well, there's a triage approach to it, you know, because every family is going to start in a different place and have different needs, um, which is why the scope of care can be so large. We encourage family involvement 
we believe that, you know, death work is community work and it's family work. And if you go back in the history of how funeral homes came to be and how like the kind of modern funeral industry came to be, you'll see that we've only been doing it this way for about three generations. And before that, most people did care for their own loved ones when they died and they kept them in the family home for several hours or maybe even up to a couple of days and kept them cold um, and had wakes, more of a traditional style of a wake where family members would you know, come in and physically see the body and, and we're proponents of people giving them the sel- themselves the time to do that. In fact, I think it's a little, a little strange if you kind of look at it from a distance that we're so attentive to the people that we love in our lives, you know, from birth and we celebrate birthdays and holidays and their milestones and their graduations and, and then they get to the very end of their life and they make the largest transition of all and we want the professionals to come immediately because immediately we are scared and uncomfortable and we don't know what to do. And there's a lot of rich tradition that is lost in that and a lot of um, like opportunity for healing that is lost in that. And that's not to say that if somebody attends to the, the body of a loved one, they will instantly you know, be healed because grief lasts as long as love lasts, which is going to be forever in most forever. cases. Forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It does kind of mitigate or hasten the denial phase in our experience because it's much harder to be in denial about someone's death when you are there holding the hand of their dead body. And so that's why, again, we kind of promote the family be involved as much as they can. And if they can die at home on hospice care, keep their body home as long as you'd like. You have up until, you know, 24 hours by law. But if you choose to have a home funeral, most states allow for it. And the ones, um, there's some that have some limitations, but just require a funeral home in some way. But that's always available to families. And we cannot recommend that enough. I am curious to ask you guys, why do you think that society has like drifted away from being involved in death? Capitalism, (laughs) the industrial revolution, um, World War II was a big shift in how we did things in America. Uh, Families kind of broke apart. People had to move to cities. They left the, you know, towns that they've had generations and generations of families live in. And so a lot of things started becoming outsourced. There was um, grocery stores, there were hospitals, there were nursing homes, and funeral homes really started becoming the norm at that time too. And so, it, like Aaron said, it's not that far back that we did used to do all of this in our own homes, in our own communities. But because it's become so normal to not have it in our homes and communities and really become an industry. I mean, death care is a multi-billion dollar industry at this point. That's where we're at here in America right now. You mentioned home funerals. What exactly does that mean? Well, a home funeral is just that kind of like... um, how the modern funeral home is. It actually mimics the family funeral or the family home. You know, there's typically a parlor or family room, fireplace. When you walk into a funeral home, it has that kind of classic look. What a home funeral is, is keeping the body at home instead of going to a funeral home. And it's easy to do. And it's always been legal. I think as a funeral director, that's really what shifted gears for me is learning about these, learning that it is legal to keep a body at home. Um, and I didn't know that as a funeral director. So I knew that the general public didn't know about it and I knew how healing it was. 
to care for your own. I think about, you know, being a mom and taking care of your, your child and all the love that you give them. And then I think about my own mom at the end of her life and that I would want to give her that kind of love and attention one more time. Right now we hand that off to a stranger and we like to gently remind people, but then of course educate them that you have this option, but it's not complicated, it's not hard. The only law that there really is is that after 24 hours, a body needs to either be embalmed, refrigerated, or cooled with ice or dry ice. And so that's what they do with home funerals, is they keep the body cool um, with ice or dry ice. Would a death doula help you put the body on ice? Or like, who do you call for that sort of assistance? Yeah, yeah, no, the death doula does that. I mean, the death doula can offer what we would consider to be like natural body care rather than restorative body care. So restorative body care would include embalming, but can also be like a lot more cosmetic. And embalming is never required by law. And it's kind of one of our core messages. We want everybody to know that they don't have to be embalmed. Um, and that the process of embalming is very, very unsavory. Well, I was just going to say, uh, embalmed or unembalmed, there's a funeral home called England Family Mortuary, so shout out to them if they ever listen. <laughs> but there's, you know, a huge Hispanic community in Southern California, Catholic, but traditionally the body was always kept at home. So we would embalm the body and put the body in a casket and they would do a home funeral. So there are... There are ways to include embalming if needed, and Aaron and I both strongly believe that there are rare occasions that embalming um, is necessary, and like she said, in restorative art-type um, situations, like if there's been a really bad accident and the family needs that time, mm. there, there's a need for it then. But what we really want people to know is that it's not required by law most of the time, like 99% of the time, it's really not necessary. And like Aaron said, it's, it's a very invasive process. So with a home funeral, there's that time and space for the reality of death to really be there and to see what the body looks like and know that it's not scary. So even if they want to have a viewing next week so that there's time for people to fly into town or whatever the circumstances are, you know, a body can be refrigerated at a funeral home or, you know, you wouldn't probably want to keep a body at home for a week. Um, but for a couple of days, ice packs and, and, and ice work just as well. It's funny that you guys are saying about the process and at the at home stuff, because that's kind of my mom passing. That was kind of a process that I didn't think I needed to do, but she was at the house and, you know, my dad and I, you know, I brushed her hair and put her glasses on and my weed clothed her and different, you know, to make her, you know, comfortable. And I put my Ugg slippers on her and, you know, like just stuff that made me feel good. And then for when my kids came downstairs to see her, they weren't scared because I think the process was very peaceful and loving and sad and all the things, but it wasn't scary. And she was there for probably like six hours and it was, it might be weird to other people, but for us, I didn't even think twice about it. It just made me feel good. So beautiful. And you hit the nail on the head with what you just said. You said, you know, it was sad and it was, you know, hard and we were full of grief, but it wasn't scary. And that's the benefit of seeing the body is, I mean, there are many benefits, but it is sad for sure, but Mm -hmm. it isn't scary, you know? 
Um, yeah, it's not scary. Not I have a quick question. I love that movie, um, Me Before You. Is that something that someone would have a death doula would be for, like, say your terminal? You've decided that you're done and it would be hard on the family to come to terms with it. Would that be something that people use doulas to like help you in that process and the families, I guess? hundred <laughs> percent. That is a very, very valid um, observation. Yeah, we even had a conversation last night. Uh, one of our kind of membership conversations and one of the gentlemen on the call, um, his partner did choose medical aid in dying um, and completed that last March. And Lauren and I participated, myself as the doula and Lauren as the funeral director. And that is exactly the thing he said to us last night in the meeting is that, um, you know, she recognized that if he was there, there would there would be whatever grief and emotion she had, but she would also feel like she needed to like tend to his grief and his emotion um, around it. And it would create this secondary grief that was actually harder for her to deal with than just dealing with her own death. And so they chose, you know, to have him come as soon as it was done. And he was able to help with the dressing uh, of her body in a prayer and stuff like that, but not not being there for the, you know, for that part of it by design. And I think it, I think it makes really good sense. And, and that is a, an area of doulaship that's very near and dear to our hearts and that we want to continue to support is giving people the right to die with dignity. Oh, that's got to be hard. We can't change how a family accepts it. I mean, a death doula really is there for the person who's dying. I, I know that she had some friends who didn't agree with it, you know, and I think that that was really hard for her, too. But we were there to support her, not change her friends' minds. Do people freak out on you guys, like the friends and family? As a funeral director, yes. <laughs> as a death doula and home funeral guide, no. <laughs> yeah. As a death doula, I would say freak out, no. Not in a really in an angry way. Certainly a lot of grief. And like, I want I want them to feel safe expressing grief. You know, I tell people that at the beginning that... I get it. This is very emotional and, and that, you know, there are places where we have to go in and, and be strong. Like you can't tell the checkout person at the grocery store maybe that you're grieving. You just have to get through the store and that that wasn't, you know, the case in these spaces that they can be real about that. And so I do see a lot of feelings and I've definitely seen, you know, family dynamics that are challenging, but we don't need to get involved in it. You know, we're here to honor the person who is dying or has died. And if we just remind the family of that, they can usually get on board, although Lauren does have some examples where that's not as easy. But again, that that's <laughs> that traditional funeral home setting where I think there's a lot of um, unprocessed and unrecognized grief, which can easily turn into anger, which is probably why when you're working as a death doula or home funeral guide, the family, the family dynamics can always be rocky, but the family energy, I think, in those situations is, is different. You kind of see family dynamics and some are good and some are bad yeah on a different way different level but <laughs> I was gonna say Aaron Aaron was a wedding planner for many years um and okay. our stories are very similar funeral directors and wedding planners walk that fine line <laughs> a lot of strong a lot of emotions running high in many different directions it's easier for me to be graceful with the grieving families than it is with the wedding families you mentioned that you have a certification program for becoming a death doula what does that look like so about accreditation we very strongly believe that this is community work this is for everyday people 
Um, so no official training or accreditation is needed to be a death doula. And this work belongs to everyone. So if a daughter wants to care for her mom, we don't think she needs to go and get a two-year degree. And it's important to us not to standardize this care to a clinical level. So we're trying to move away kind of from that medical oversight of like, you must do this, this, and this. Because it's decidedly not a medical role. Like that part was clear even in the even in the Wikipedia definition that it's non-medical care. Yeah. And so since this work is like based in love, we don't ever want there to be a governing board. Um, but we do know that people want to show that they've been trained. So that's what we do. We offer certificates of completions or you're certified and backed by the death wives. To Lauren's point that, you know, we want this to be community work and we want it to be accessible. We have a series of six community core classes that are only $33 and they're just two hours online um, on Zoom. And we give them a ton of information. I mean, it really is enough information that if somebody wanted to act as a death doula or a home funeral guide for their own loved one or someone in their community, they could do it. And so that's where it starts. Um, But then if people want to take it, you know, more professionally, we have a 201 level death doula class that's just a weekend intensive. They have to either come to that 101 I was telling you about or we can send them the recording of it first just to set kind of a standard of where we're moving from there. Um, And then we go over throughout the weekend all of the skills uh, of a death doula kind of, you know, the work before death, that legacy work we were talking about, um, the active, you know, work of a death doula during death and then the follow-up care, whether that's body care or planning funeral services. Our largest program is a three-month program that is just called death school and that one's comprehensive because it includes all of the aforementioned death doula work but it's also a lot more kind of exploratory and spiritual in nature so that's the the deeper dive that's the clinical stuff plus just a lot of fun (laughs) yeah that's neat because like if you don't have we're not necessarily like religious You know, like I believe that there's somewhere that you're going and there's there's something and I don't know necessarily what that is. And that would be interesting to see other cultures and other different, you know, beliefs in the afterlife. And you're right. If you're not, you know, if you're not part of a church and like most of us or I don't know what the statistics are, I feel and and at least in my community, most of us aren't like, where can you go that there can still be ritual and there could still be sacredness? That's what we're trying to provide a space for when it comes to grief and death. What drew you guys to doing this? We always say, what's your death story? Usually to people who are signing up in our classes, you know, they have they have that story where their relationship with death shifted. Um, for me, mine was from fear. My uncle was killed in a car accident when I was 13. And at that age, it was such, you know, I didn't think I was ever going to die. I didn't think people were going to die. And then all of a sudden, my young, healthy, cool uncle, who's 27, is dead. And I got mad at death and I was anti-death, which is hilarious when I tell this story now because I'm like, death lady, like this is, I'm a death wife, this, I'm married to death. But I like it because I did come from that place of fear and it wasn't until I ended up working at a funeral home, not necessarily by choice at first, it was my boyfriend who brought me in, but I got to help with a baby, a newborn baby that was stillborn. And I was absolutely terrified to go pick this baby up from the hospital, but I needed to do it. And 
I went in and, and gave the nurse a blanket, and she thought that was very sweet, because normally people just bring a box or something, and, and I said, what? And so I wrapped this little baby boy up in this blanket, and I walked out of the hospital just holding him, kind of terrified, but at the same time going, somebody loved this baby so much. Like, I, I, that's what came over me, was just this, like, immense feeling of love, and what a privilege it was for me to be able to hold their baby and take care of him when they thought they were going to be holding him and taking care of him. And in that moment, I kind of fell in love with death and fell in love with what a sacred act it is to be able to care for people um, going through grief and going through death and the sacredness of our bodies. And then I wanted to tell everybody about it. So (laughs) yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. Because as a person on the other side, you want that person taking care of your person to have those feelings that you have. Exactly. And I can't promise all funeral directors feel that way. And and it's not because they're bad people, but because it is a business. It is an industry. And that's why we really, really educate and promote for families to take on that role, because they have every single right to do that. They have every single right to act as the funeral director for their own loved one, because that's their loved one, not mine. That is really pretty. Erin, how did you get into doing what you're doing now? I feel like my whole life has been a preparation for doing death work. And for so many years before I did it professionally, I I wanted to do it professionally. And I volunteered, you know, for a long time. I guess to go back, like the, the why behind it is my first love. His name was Adam, died in a car accident when we were juniors in high school. And it was so so traumatic for me and the world went on for everybody else and I just wanted to lay in the wreckage of the crash site off the side of the highway Um, and I started to you know just to see him and to realize that I could still communicate with him at the time we didn't have like the internet yet so I was always at the bookstore in the grief aisles trying to find like something that could touch the center of what I was experiencing I began to like feel like what everybody else was kind of doing with their life seemed so simple and I just wanted to understand like what was on the other side of death and where his soul went and why could I still communicate with him and how come I couldn't find any books that understood what I was experiencing and um, so that's really what launched me you know launched me onto the path um, of this work and then it took a lot of kind of iterations along the way starting with just a lot of writing or a lot of writing about grief and recognized when my own grandfather was dying just how transferable those skills were there weren't really people in that role, holding that space. You know, there was great medical care available, but they don't have the time for the bedside manner that something as sacred um, and transitional as as death deserves. And so I started volunteering for the hospice. And um, in that process, I found Lauren, who feels the same way I do about this and wants there to be um, just more options for grievers and more options for people who are dying. And so we birthed what is now Death Wives. I was going to say, we both volunteered at a hospice at different, uh, different cities, but that really gives a whole different look to the dying process because hospice volunteers do get to spend time with the patients versus the nurses and the doctors who really can give the medical care but don't have the time and space to give the people care. What would be the right word, Erin? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's just that bedside manner. I mean, and especially for the last couple of years, we all know there's a medical shortage. You know, it's not it's not built into their schedule for people to sit with the dying. And so that's the function of volunteers and of the hospice volunteers. Some of them want to do that. It's called 11th hour care um, to be available at the end and to kind of even be on call for that. But a lot of them don't. You know, a lot of them want to support hospice and volunteer in a different way that doesn't include that 11th hour. But we do appreciate, I think, the overall philosophy that hospice would would like for nobody to die alone. And so they need a lot of volunteers to obtain that goal. So it's a good place if you do want to be a death doula. We always recommend volunteering at your local hospice first, if you're able to. We know with COVID that things are a little bit more limited right now, but definitely reach out to hospice if this is something you're interested in. It sounds like an experience that I think a lot of people would benefit from. Because this is kind of, I guess, new but not new, how would um, a family member go about finding a death doula? And because it's not really accredited or governed, how do you suggest to them to make sure that the death doula that they've reached out to is somebody who's educated enough to help them? Just interview people, talk to people. The purpose of a death doula really is that holding space and helping the person transition, helping the family understand. And so two people might have the same kind of education, but don't have the same connection to the family. Or one person may not have two years of training and education, but their hearts speak directly to the person. And as far as finding a death doula, right now we're such a new and growing community. A lot of it is still word of mouth, or there are little groups and clusters of um, like death care communities. There's a lot of crossover with the birth doula community. So if you're, you know, if you're looking for one in your area and you can't find something just by Googling, like Lauren said, the name of your town and the word death doula, a lot of death doulas who come and train with us were birth doulas before. So we see crossover there. We also see crossover with like CNAs and um, of course with hospice nurses. So you could ask your local hospice if they know of any death doulas. Those would be some good resources. What you're doing is amazing. And being single moms on top of it, I don't know how you're juggling it all, but I applaud both of you. (laughs) Thank you so much. So we just do um, some kind of like fun, silly questions at the end. This is a question that we ask all of our guests. The question is, is if you had to pick a song to be the soundtrack for your job, what song would you pick? Wow. I wish I had a good answer. Yeah. I mean, for our job... Life is a cabaret. There you go. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) What are your hobbies? Death and kids. (laughs) I know. I like to pretend I'm a farmer. I like milking goats and hanging out with chickens. I love the outdoors. We live in Colorado, so I, you know, I live for the summer and for being up high in the mountains. And I love fostering cats. (laughs) (laughs) My next question is, what is something that you are embarrassed to admit that you hoard? And now I feel like it might be cats. And I only have four, not like seven or ten. I think it's well below the city limit. (laughs) I mean, I was going to say bones, but I'm not embarrassed by it. (laughs) For the next question, what would be your last meal? I want to go with the first thing I thought of, even though, you know, I could second guess myself on this for a long time. 
Um, but like salmon tiki masala that's kind of spicy. And if I have, can I have dessert with it? I would like creme brulee. You can have everything. I would you like have creme brulee dessert. for dessert with coffee that has Bailey's and whipped cream in it. Ooh. Love it. I would want a really good T-bone steak. Rare, medium rare. It's hilarious because, as Aaron knows, I was a vegetarian for 16 years. But when I think of, like, my last meal, I think of a steak. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just want that. <laughs> and and a Midori margarita and either tiramisu or creme brulee for dessert. <laughs> I love it. What are your sides with your steak? Oh, definitely like some good garlic mashed potatoes and asparagus and some like really good root vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds delicious. Nikki, do you have a last one for him? What do you like least about your job and what do you like most about your job? Hmm. We're really lucky because we designed our particular job. Yeah, we really love our we're we are those people that wake up every day and get to do what we love. I think the hardest part is when people learn about us after, you know, or Mm -hmm. learn things that they wish they would have done for their loved ones. Yeah, I think that would be the only thing that I would say is hard. But everything else is amazing. And I could talk about death all day, every day. (laughs) And we kind of do. We're so lucky. Lauren and I are both used to working multiple jobs. We're just recently, and we're still knocking on wood and, you know, doing it one month at a time, doing it as we go, but we're just doing Death Wives now, and we're getting lots of students and lots of clients, and it just feels really, really aligned and and beautiful. So I would be stretching to to even come up with a part that I hate or or dislike um maybe the promotion i'll say the promotion i hate that we have to you know promote it okay (laughs) i think that's good we can let them go i just want to say you two women are incredible thank you for talking with us too yeah this was a fun conversation thank you guys and gals and ladies in this (laughs) (laughs) so what'd you think amazing right The way that they talk about experiencing death and experiencing death um, as a family and honoring the process and the person Mm -hmm. is amazing because we are a society that is very clinical and very sterile and hands off. And there is something beautiful about what they're doing. I'm so thankful to you as well as them, but thankful to you too for bringing this like education to me, because this is definitely something that I could see using in my own family. For sure. Like, well, I was a little skeptical just with doulas in general. Like when people say they have a baby doula, I'm like, oh, here we go, hippie. And, you know, I think I had the wrong idea. And then now talking with them, it sounds completely different. You really hit it home when you talked about how your mom may have been reluctant to talk to you about maybe final wishes because she wouldn't want to upset you. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she doesn't want to see you hurting and, and, Mm -hmm. and especially because there's nothing that she can do to stop it. When you talked about that and you talked about having an external outside source of someone that can say, Hey, let's write something down. Like, do you want to write a letter to your kids? Let me help you. Do you want to, you know, um, put a photo collage together? Do you want to look at some old pictures? Do you want to tell me about your kids? Do you want to tell me about, you know, this, that, or the other? That's like priceless for families. 
Because like you said, like you're focusing so much on the person, like, let me let you eat. Let's drink. Let's do this. You're fine. Let me get you water. Let's let, you know, let's sit up. Let's keep moving. Let's do this. Cause you're, you're trying to fight the inevitable. You're trying to Mm -hmm. extend time for as long as you can, because every extra minute is just, just that more time, more time. And I think that we do ourselves a disservice because we're so focused on that, that we're not, we're not accepting that this is happening, whether we want it to or not, whether we're ready for it to happen or not, it's happening. So if we were to just accept it and make peace with it earlier so that we could enjoy the last bit of time with that person, I feel like death in general would be, like she said, much more beautiful, much happier. It's always going to be sad. You're you're always going to feel a loss in your heart. There's nothing you can do to fix that, but to really be in it in the last home stretch, I think is something that we are all robbing ourselves of potentially. I, I felt like even just asking when I got, had the boys, um, the bears made, you know, the yeah. build a bear bears yeah. and just asking my mom to record those for them was really hard and uncomfortable because it, I felt guilty for asking her to make a recording for them to have after she passes. And I know it was super hard for her and it was super hard for me to like, you know, ask that. But I knew that if I didn't, I would regret it. Well, and Nikki, and you know what? It may have been sad for her, but I guarantee you she's so thankful that she did that, that they can always press that bear and hear her voice and like, Cause that's just something you never want to forget. Like you want to hear her cadence and you just want to hear them say yeah. your name. It's like yeah. so stupid where you're like, no, it's not, you know, like just say your name or like, bye. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. 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 No. And so that's why I find that to be very like interesting. I wonder how many families would even do that or they would have the mentality. Like I thought originally going into this and even just with baby doulas is like, Oh, that's for hippies. And I think it's about education, right? It's education. It's like, what is it exactly? Because I also feel like people are probably hesitant because it's also um, a very intimate and private part of it. It might feel a little Mm -hmm. invasive to have a stranger there during this like family time. But I think if you can wrap your head around and be open to the fact that like we're here to maximize your time and like get the most for you and for them. Or even if you do that for like, say you're not even like just a stranger, if you're even a family member that they have the classes that they were saying, like that's pretty cool to like, you know, like my dad would have liked a stranger coming in or even like, you know, my mom. But if I had maybe taken those classes myself and then maybe tried to understand it more and separate a little bit for the moment when I'm trying to make these recordings and try to like, yeah, yeah, like when you're in it, but also try to like capture like the things that I wish I had now, which is like a checklist. Like what's your favorite TV show? Even though you know these things, you just want to hear them say it in a time capsule, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily, if you think about it, it's not necessarily for a stranger. You can do it for your yourself family family. member your yeah your neighbor or someone that you know but you're just being a little more trained into how to do that 
yeah, how to guide them and how to navigate and how to help the families um, gather those keepsakes and honor their wishes and wants. No, I think what the work they're doing is insanely amazing. Um, the fact that they're two single moms is totally kick-ass and I'm super like in awe of them and what they're accomplishing and their mission. And I think that they're incredible. You know what was also really interesting that they both said the body knows how to die. Yeah. And I thought that that was like, I don't know, it like stuck with me because it was like, you know what? Yeah. We don't need to be in a hospital for this. We can't stop it. Right. You're, so you're just really managing pain if we're being honest here. So it's like, just do it in a place where you're comfortable. Yeah. Where your family can sit and cuddle around and, you know, even if they're not like coherent, like they're happy. They're surrounded by love instead of beeping machines and fluorescent lighting. Just talking with all these different types of people with different jobs and different ways that they explain like death. And it has kind of changed my view on how I look at death. It isn't scary. And isn't like hospital like you see in the movies and then you hear like the flatlining and, you know, like all those things. Right. So, yeah, it's talking to these people and just kind of um, being more aware of what options are. I've definitely have changed my stance on a lot of things. Like I literally was telling Will um, the other day in the car, like, hey, I want to change my will because I want to write some (laughs) things down. I have some adjustments to make. <laughs> there you go. That was a great one. Two for two. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't like the stack up on me. I'm real nervous about who I'm gonna have to bring on to follow. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at body to burial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.